Well, I'd like to uh, begin this morning uh, with our big idea, and it'll come up on the side screen. You can fill it in your uh, JAR app or in the program. And this is the big idea. God provides. God provides. When Jennifer and I uh, first moved here to Muncie, we decided that we would purchase our first home. And we had lived in apartments for seven years. And so we were really excited about this, and uh, we saved money back for a down payment. We knew about what kind of house we could afford and yet still be able to tithe to give 10% of our income uh, to Christ and the church. And so on one particular day, we saw 20 houses one day. And within that day, none of them were houses that we felt was, uh, you know, the house. And we were just about ready to give up, and we were going down Robinwood Drive when all of a sudden this elderly couple was taking out a yard sign for their house to sell. And we went up to them and said, hey, are you selling this house? Yes, today we're just putting it up today. And we walked inside and we were like, ah, you know, like this is the house. And so um, we went ahead and we're like, okay, we'll give an offer. And so we get an offer and uh, they accepted it and we were all excited. And everything was going well until we sat down with our realtor and they told us that we were missing something called closing cost. And we had not actually purchased the house before, so we didn't know there was this thing such as closing cost. And we owed $1,500 at closing and we did not have it. And immediately I go into panic mode when it comes to money, typically. And so I'm like, ah, what are we going to do with this? And then all of a sudden, this brilliant idea came to my mind. We'll just stop tithing. We just won't give to God for a few months. We'll take that money. We'll pay for our closing cast, our closing costs. And uh, it'll be like an IOU. You know, God will get you later. But right now, we're not going to do that. Well, my wife, who is often much more obedient than I am, uh, looked at me and she said, no, we're not going to do that. I said, oh, okay. And she said, we're going to tithe and God will provide. Well, we kept on doing this until two weeks before closing. And I'm like, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you know everything, you know. This is, this is not going to happen. And uh, I went out to the mailbox and there was a letter from some friends of ours, friends of my parents, and uh, it was from a lady by the name of Rachel. And earlier that year, she had lost her husband to heart disease. And I've kept that card, and this is what she wrote to us. She said, I was thinking of you guys today, and I felt God asking me to send you a gift. I hope this helps. Know that I love you, and you are in my prayers. And I took this check. That was folded in half in this card, and I pulled it out, and I opened it up, and it was for exactly $1,500. And in 1998, breakdancing was in, so I was like, woo started doing the moonwalk. You know what I mean? I was like celebrating God for how he had provided by us continuing to remember him. Now, the point of this story is not this. Pray to God when you've screwed up your finances and you haven't figured out the closing costs, and God will come through in the ninth inning and will take care of you. Because he might, like he did for us this time, but he might not. And there have been other times in our lives where Jennifer and I have not used our money wisely, and he didn't come to save the day. He allowed there to be some pain in our life so that we would actually do things his way rather than doing it our own. But the point is this, folks, that God provides when we place him first with our finances. And often, he not only provides our needs but he provides for our wants as well. He loves to fill us with joy. 
Now, today is our final teaching in our summer series called Choose Joy. And sometimes when we talk about money in this place, it's anything you're like, I'm not feeling very joyful, you know, when we're talking about that. But the reality is, Paul, as he concludes this letter to the Philippians that we've been studying all summer long, this letter that he writes, he ends it by giving some final thoughts. And he gives to us some really cool things. Now, I want you to remember that joy is the key, but we've talked about a definition of joy that is central to that. It'll come up on the side screen. We said this at the very beginning, that joy is the assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, and ultimately, everything is going to be okay, so I will praise Him in every situation. And it's from this background, this definition, that we then come to the end of this letter, and he gives us some thoughts about joy to the Philippians and for us to apply to our own lives. And here's the first one. Joy comes through the Lord's provision. And you can fill that in. Joy comes through the Lord's provision. In chapter 4, the last chapter of Philippians, in verse 10, Paul says this. I rejoice in the Lord. How? How did he rejoice in the Lord? What's it say? He rejoiced greatly. Now, the question becomes, why? Why was Paul rejoicing greatly? Because that's what we want, after all, right? We want to have joy in the Lord that we can rejoice greatly, and that joy is not just some fast, fleeting thought, but it's a constant, continual process of our life. So why does he rejoice greatly? Well, it goes on, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, that means for a long time, you have revived. Now this concept or this word called revived actually is this image of a flower that is blossoming or coming to bloom. How many of you have hanging baskets of flowers either on your porch or around your house? Does anyone have hanging flowers? Okay, several of us. Well, for Mother's Day, I thought, I'm going to get this beautiful hanging basket of flowers for my wife. And so I went to Watson's Nursery, I looked up, and then I saw the price tag on one of these. And I thought, this thing better last, you know, until Jennifer dies, you know, like, this should last that long. And it was $40 for this beautiful, beautiful kind of blossoming hanging basket. We have a picture of it right there. She likes purple, and so we put it together. It was gorgeous. Now, for two months, I've done anything and everything to try to take care of this particular plant to make it look beautiful and kind. But unfortunately, folks, not only this one, but many have turned out like this. And it looks horrible and dead, and it, it's like there's nothing there. It's not revived. It's, it's dead. Now, the reason why Paul is talking about this is because ten years before he wrote to the Philippians, he started the church there, and it was like his prized treasure. And even after he left Philippi, the Philippians still financially gave to him and helped him to start other churches, churches in Colossae and other places. But somewhere along the line, they stopped providing financially for him on his mission. And he doesn't want them to misunderstand this, so he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length that some time has come, it's been a long time since I've seen you. It's been a long winter. But now, unlike that dying basket, he goes, now you have revived yourself again and you have concern for me. In other words, for some reason you stopped thinking of me, but now you're thinking about me again. And you have indeed been concerned for me, but I knew that you had no opportunity. Paul's kind of like, don't misunderstand me. I know that you've been thinking of me, but stuff must have been tough, or you must have just forgot or something. But, but now I realize that maybe you just didn't have the opportunity. And they didn't. Because the reality is the Philippians gave out of poverty. It was not a 
wealthy church. It was a poverty-stricken church. They didn't have a lot, but what they gave, they believed that God would resupply. But somewhere along the line, they forgot that message. And Paul finally was like, but joy, I want you to know, comes through the Lord's provision. Folks, I would suggest to you that some of the most phenomenal times of your life is when you weren't so sure you were going to be able to make it, and all of a sudden, God came through with a need that you didn't even see coming. Have you ever had moments like that in your life? Have you? Where you weren't so sure that God was going to provide, but then he shows up and he exactly meets your needs. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a mom, and she was telling me that four years ago, she and her daughter were just weeks from becoming homeless. And they knew that it was going to be difficult. They didn't know what they were going to do, whether they would go to a shelter or whatever. And they didn't tell anyone what their need was. They just prayed to God daily, asking him to meet their need. And just out of the blue, a woman from the church came up to them and said, I don't know why, but I feel like God has placed it on my heart to tell you that you can have one of my rental houses for a year. You don't have to pay rent. The only thing I'm asking is that you pay the taxes on it for that year, and it'll be rent-free. And this woman, as she's telling me this story, she's like, we were so excited because no one knew our need, but God did, and God provided. I can't tell you about how many countless people I've talked to who were really down in dire straits, and then all of a sudden, they walk out to their porch and they find food there. Or someone stops by and they give a gift card to them. Or there is, they're on food stamps and all of a sudden the amount that they had actually increases and they're able to better provide for their family. I've heard of people not being able to afford to go on a vacation. And through the generosity of someone else, they give something to them and they're able to go and to do that. And provision comes through God's hands and God's people do as well. And stories of this go on and on. And folks, those are just a few of the examples that I've heard here at the jar of God stepping in and God's people stepping in to provide. But I hear these kind of stories almost weekly. I hear these stories of only God. If only God would have showed up and only God did. And here's an only God story of someone whose need was met. And it's such a thrilling part of my life to be a part of this journey called the jar. Folks, God provides and joy comes through the Lord's provision. But you want to hear something even better than that? Better than just that the fact that the Lord provides? Paul says, I have something even better for you. And he says this, joy remains in a heart of contentment. He says not only does joy come because the Lord provides, but he says joy remains in a heart of contentment. When a person is able to say, I have enough. Whatever I have is enough. Verse 11, Paul goes on to say, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be, what's the word? What is it? You said it so contently, I wanted to make sure you knew it. Yeah, to be content. And contentment, folks, is a challenge for every single person, whether they make six figures or they're homeless. Because contentment is not based upon the bottom line. Contentment is based upon something called the heart. Are you content with where you're at? But unfortunately, this is what happens. When everything in life is going good and I'm on the mountaintop, I'm content. But when there are some difficult things come and all of a sudden there's a valley experience that I'm going through, contentment, throw that out the window. I don't want it. But Paul says, hey, that's not the way with me. He's like, I'm grateful 
for the financial gift that the Philippians have given to me. But honestly, if they never gave me anything again, I'm okay with that as well. Because what's most important to me, Philippians, is you. And having a relationship with you. Verse 11 goes on to say, now that I am speaking of being in need, here it is. For I have learned whatever situation I am to be, what's the word again? Content. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the type of person who when God's meeting all of my needs, whatever that is, and I'm feeling like I'm on a mountaintop, I'm fired up for God. I love God. I want more of God. And when all of a sudden things aren't working out exactly the way that I want, God, I don't want a piece of you because you're not meeting the needs the way that I want you to meet them. I don't want to lose my joy just because I'm not on the mountaintop. Because it's true. Joy comes through provision, but joy remains. It's steady. It's there when we learn to live in contentment. Now, the concept of contentment is throughout the Bible, but I want you to think of this passage and maybe memorize it this week, at least the last part of it. In Hebrews 13, 5, take note of this. The writer says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. See, money's not bad. Money's a good thing. It's the love of money that is not good. So he says, free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Let's say that out loud together. Okay, one, two, three. Be content with what you have. Now, some of you are like, yeah, you should be content. No, no, no. It's about be content with what I have to be content. Now, let's be really clear about something here. Having is not wrong. Having is not wrong. If you work hard and you make a paycheck and you honor God with the first of that, and then if you choose to splurge on yourself a little bit for whatever that is, That is not wrong. Having is not wrong. But when having has you, that's wrong. Let me say that again. Having is not wrong. But when having has you, that's wrong. I mean, there is no blessing, folks, in poverty. And God wants us to work hard and to do well. The problem is when having has you. And money becomes something that you love and you're anxious about and you worry about. I heard of a a survey recently where they surveyed people and they said, uh, we're going to give you a choice. The choice is this. We want you to decide what you would choose. Either you could have one additional hour every single day with your family So that's 365 additional hours with your family, or you could have $10,000 for the year. What do you think people chose? Yeah, they chose cash. And at first I was like, well, naturally they're going to do that. But what percentage? 87% of the people. 87% of the people said, I'd rather not have a quality additional hour with my family One hour each day of the year, but I'll take the 10 grand. Just give me the 10 grand. You know, I added it up this week. It's $27 a day. That's what you get. And I kept thinking to myself, what are people thinking? What is our society thinking when you could have an additional hour with your family? Folks, it's very true. Having is not the problem. But when having has you, that's the problem. You know, I've sat at the hospital bed of many people. Recently, just had a funeral on Monday. I've been with this family before at different times. And every time I'm with someone who's in those last kind of closing moments, you know what I've never heard a person say before? 
I wish I would have worked more and gained more money. I just never heard it. I never heard anyone talk about money when they're on their deathbed. John D. Rockefeller, maybe one of the wealthiest men ever in our country, and at one day he was, someone asked him one time, how much is enough? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. But of course, John D. Rockefeller, you know what he was? He was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. Because that smacks right into the face of contentment. Now, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, as someone who wants you to honor God with your finances and every other aspect of your life, I want to tell you this morning that if you feel like joy is missing in your life, then you should check this right here, your heart, and to see if there's contentment. Because this is the truth, folks. Contentment high joy high. Contentment low, joy what? Low. I heard a story this week of a guy who went into a gas station, and when he went into the gas station, the clerk behind was like, hey, did you hear? Powerball is $195 million. You need to buy a ticket. And so the guy turned to her and said, I don't need $195 million. The lady looks at this guy and she's like, he doesn't look like a millionaire. He didn't drive up in a car like that. Like, what's going on? And she's kind of shocked by it. But then the man said very quickly, he said, you know, even if I, even if I won, it wouldn't make me happier. And the lady's like, ah, good answer. Good answer. Well, there's a little stock boy right behind her, and he jumped in real quickly, and he said, it'd make me happier. <laughs> and then the man looked at him and said, or more miserable. And you know, when I read that story this week, I was just thinking of the fact that so many of us have bought into the myth of more. And so we get this basket, and we talked about that throughout the series. We get this basket of eggs, and we're trying to put everything in to get in good with God. And we put stuff in there that we think, well, if I just have more in there, everything's going to be better. If I could just get more, if I could just have more, if I could just have more, 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 and people are buying into the myth of more all the time. That's why credit card debt and other debt is so high, because people buy into the myth of more. I mean, how many people are going to drive off the cliff of the myth of more before they finally realize money or possessions or any of those things will not make me happier. Now, contentment is so important that I want to give you just five or four questions to ask yourself to kind of understand what does contentment involve. Here's the first one. Where I am. This isn't in your notes, so if you want to write these down, they're very short. Uh, where I am. Where I am. Now, let me ask you guys. Where are you? Do you not know? <laughs> where are you? You are in East Central Indiana. That's where almost everyone that comes to the jar lives. East Central Indiana. And there are great things about this area. Would you agree? There are some wonderful things about this area. But there are some very aggravating things about this area as well. Low-paying jobs, drug abuse, that precipitation that comes in December, January, February. What's it called? Yeah, you hate that word, don't you? But it will come. But contentment is saying this. Muncie, Delaware County, East Central Indiana, that is where I am. That's where I am. I am where I am. You know, people will come up to me. I can't tell you. At least every other month, a person will be struggling with their life and life issues and family issues. And they'll come up and they'll go, Pastor, you know what? If I just lived in California or Florida or somewhere else, I would be happier. And I used to always listen to these things and I was very compassionate and kind of like, oh, yeah, you're kind of going through some stuff. You know what I tell people now? No, you wouldn't. I don't make them feel happier. 
Because they wouldn't be happier somewhere else. Because contentment, folks, is not out there somewhere. Contentment is here in your heart. Here's the second question. What I do. Again, people will come up to me all the time and they will say, I don't like what I do. I don't like my job. Well, you know what? To be honest, there's some things about my job I don't like. I'm just going to give a grievance of all the things that I don't like either. And some of you have caused some of those things. Just joking, just joking. But, but there's some things I don't like about my job. Now, some of you right now are like, well, I'd like your job. You only work two hours a week, you know. Anyone that ever says that of a pastor, just look at them and say, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. I don't care who the pastor is, what you think of them, if they're complaining about them. Oh, they don't do anything. No, you're an idiot. That's what you are. As a pastor, there are a lot of things that I get to do that are a lot of fun, that I enjoy and get to celebrate. Today I get to teach a baptism class. People whose eternity will be changed and they'll get to see them be baptized. There's nothing better in life. really isn't. I mean, every single week, no matter how good the teaching is, though, you will come up to me often and you're like, hey, good job. Really good job. But it better be just as good next week or better because I'm bringing some friends. You know the pressure that that puts on me? Why don't you have a term paper due every single week that you have to stand up and talk to people? Go ahead. Enjoy that. (laughs) Folks, whatever you've got to do and whatever position you're in right now, for whatever reason, that's the position God has you in. So don't complain about it. You say, this is where I am. And there's no job that's the greatest all the time. There's always things about everyone's job that is not always exciting. Here's the next thing. What I have. What I have. There are some people in this gym today, and there will be some in the second celebration, who have a lot more than what I have. And there are some people in this gym, and also in the second celebration, who will have less than what I have. But at the end of the day, you have to choose to be able to say, I have what I have. I have what I have. And I'm going to be a lot more happier if I just accept what I have. Let me tell you something. Happiness is not in the having. Happiness or joy is in contentment of what I have. And the Bible says, be content with what you have, because this, God promises that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will meet and supply your needs. Here's the fourth big thing, and this is the big one. Who I'm with. Who I'm with. There are many times that people will come up to me and say, well, my wife. If she was just a little bit more like this, or my husband, if he was just a little bit more like, you know, Joe over there. Joe's a good husband. My husband, not so much. Or, you know, I just wish my kids were a little bit more. Well, if you focus on what they're not, no joy. you got to focus on the good. Well, I wish my boss were a little bit more like, or I wish my friend was a little bit more like, or I wish my pastor was a little bit more like, well, guess what? You got me, okay? You didn't get Joel Osteen. Maybe you wish you would have. You can watch him on television, but otherwise you got me. And guess what? I'm not leaving. I'm here for the next 20 years unless you do decide finally you're out, you know? But you just kind of, you got to pray for me. Maybe I'll change. You know, maybe God will do something, make me a lot better someday. But, you know, just, just pray for that. So rather than looking at what people aren't or what I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere that I don't want to be or I, I don't have what I want to have or the job is not, why don't we just embrace where we're at and be grateful for where we're at and I am with who I am with. So joy joy comes through provision. God provides. Joy remains in contentment. And some of you are like, well, contentment's really hard, man. We should understand a little bit more about this. Well, actually, Paul goes on to talk more about it. He's like, well, this isn't enough. I'm going to say more. And he kind of gives us three things about contentment. The first is this. Contentment is learned. You can actually learn to be more content. I mean, that's really good, right? This is something that you can learn. 
you can learn. So where do you sign up? You're like, hey, I want to learn to be more content. Where do I sign up at? Well, actually, you're already signed up. You take the course. You've been taking it all of life. And you know what it is? It is called the class of life. That's where you learn contentment. And there are two semesters that Paul says that you have. The first semester is this. It's in verse 12. Paul says, I know how to be brought, what's the word? Low. When God is teaching us contentment, unfortunately, how he often does it is he brings us low. I wonder today, how many of you are feeling at a low point? God is bringing you low. You might ask, well, why is he doing that? Because he's teaching you something. And the thing that he's teaching you is can you be content when everything around you is not what you would have it to be? So instead of fighting it, resisting it, why don't you just say, God, I don't know why I'm in this season that I'm in right now, but I humbly and uh, I hum- humble myself before you. I surrender to you. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here and say that, right? But the truth is, myself, and I bet all of you, most people do not sign up to be brought low. People don't go, hey, God, bring me low. I want to learn contentment. Could you bring me low? And yet Jesus was brought low. He was brought lower than anyone else. He is in heaven And he lowers himself to the lowest of lows. But how do people generally respond when they're brought to a moment of lowness? You know how people typically respond? They run away. And you know what they run back to? Their old lifestyle. When lowness hits and contentment is there, but they choose not to do it, they run away and they run back to the way they used to live their life. And I'm just telling you folks, don't run away. It's not run, Forrest, run. No, that's not it. It's get low, get low. God, I'll take the contentment. And then Paul says, I'm going to give you a second semester though, and this is what he says, I know how to abound. I know how to abound. The word abound there means that you have access or excess, that you have overflow. But you know what? More people's life is ruined, not because they're brought low, but because they abound with so much. I can't tell you how many times people come to the jar when they're at a low moment of their life, but when all of a sudden everything changes and they get a new job or God provides something, they're like, I'm out of town. Because you know what they haven't learned? They haven't learned the second semester of how to abound. And you know what typically happens with folks like that? They go and they abound for a while, and then all of a sudden their life gets messed up again, and then they're right back here again. Or sometimes they never come back, and I do their funeral at the end of their life. Because they never learned how to abound. There's a great quote by Jeff Mannion in his book, Satisfied. I'd encourage you to read it. He says this, contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want, but by training the heart to experience full joy and be at peace even when we don't have what we want. Let me ask you this morning, have you graduated from the course of contentment? Can you allow yourself to be brought low and you surrender and you're like, I'll learn in this moment? And secondly, can you allow God to bless your life abundantly and it doesn't take you away from his heart? People will tell me all the time, oh, you know, if I just had more money, I'd be able to do more. Folks, if you don't do it when you have nothing, you won't do it when you have everything. You just won't. And so you have to learn. Jennifer and I learned contentment not when she became doctor girl. It was when we were paying for two apartments, we made $16,000 and we had nothing. And we had to learn to be content with whatever God would give us so that as he blessed our lives, it would never be about what he gave us, but we would be content with whatever that was. And we would have not closed fists, but open hands to give to others. 
Scripture says this, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Can God trust you if he gave you more? Could he? You might say, I don't know, but I'd like to try. Just give me a little bit more, God, let me see. But let me just say this. Most often, God takes people to the first semester first of being brought low before he takes you to the second semester of being able to abound in much. And both are absolutely essential if you're going to understand contentment. Now, you might be saying, well, I want to learn about it, but how do I learn about it? Well, Paul goes on to say, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of, placing, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I want to know a secret. He likes secrets. My kids love secrets. You always want to know about secrets, don't you? Well, the secret is found in the next verse. But it's really not a secret. The secret is this. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not by Christ. Like, hey, Jesus, won't you come over here by me? Let's hang out together. Could you be by me? No, no, no. It's not with me. Hey, let's do this together. Let's work. Let's work through this together. No, no, no. It is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Folks, the key to the Christian life is, are you willing to surrender enough to say, Jesus, you do it through me. Through me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I need strength to be able to say it. So, And that is Paul's second understanding. He says contentment is strengthened through Christ. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's say that out loud together in this verse. Okay, let's say it. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You should memorize that. Now, I believe this verse to the core of my being. But here's the problem with this verse. It's abused a lot. It's misinterpreted. It's mistreated. Sometimes people use this in ways that are horrible. So the question becomes, what is the all things? I can do all things. What are those all things? If a student shows up to a test and they haven't studied a lick, but right before the test they're like, oh, Lord, I read it in your Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here's the first true and false. Let me know just by the power of your spirit moving in my hand. True or false? True or false? Is that what this means? Some of you are like, I hope. No. If there are Colts players on one side and they're like, man, I, I love God. I can do all things for Christ who strengthens me. Help me to crush them on the other side. Well, you know that there's other people on the other side that are professional athletes, too, and they're like, well, I'm a Christian. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Help me to crush them. And when this happens, so it's when prayers are lifted up. You know what I'm sure God does? He looks down from heaven, and he's like, are you looking at the context? Are you looking at everything around it? Because you need to know this is not, I can leave tall buildings with a single bound through Christ. The all things actually are two things. And it was just before this. I can be content when God brings me low, and I can be content when God abounds within me. It's about saying, I can choose joy in all things. How's your business going this quarter? Stinks. We're not even making it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? How's it going with your family right now? Well, my girl's school closed. They have to go to a new school. They're really anxious about it. And my wife's grandfather died. And, you know, my mom's got cancer. But this is what I know. I can do all things through Christ 
He strengthens me. Listen, it's your choice, folks, every single day, whether you choose joy or not. It's your choice. And God wants you to have it. He wants to give you the assurance of it, but it's up to you. Because the secret of all things is can I be content? In fact, it is that secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's the final thing that Paul says regarding contentment. He says contentment is demonstrated through giving. Contentment is demonstrated through giving. Now, you might be asking the question this morning, am I a contented person? Well, here's the test. What do you do with your money? Do you hold it tightly with a closed fist? Or do you say, everything I have is from God anyways, so I'm going to have an open hand for God to use it however he chooses, and I will honor him with the first of it. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And contentment is demonstrated through giving. You know, one of the biggest comments that I get from people all the time here at the jar when they first come as visitors, they're like, man, you guys never beg for money. I'm like, yeah, we don't. Because this is what's true. I'm more concerned about you learning to know the giver of every gift than what gift you give. Because this is what I know. Once you know the giver of all gifts, then we strongly want to encourage people to give abundantly because of the abundance that God has given to us. And why do we do this? Because Scripture tells us that if you test God in this area, it's the only area that he says, if you do this, if you give to me financially, I will bless your life. Sometimes financially, sometimes in other ways. Anyone want to guess what the average Christian gives? 2.5%. Across the board, 2.5%. So if you're a Christ follower and we added them all up here at the jar, we would have people that what they gave was 2.5%. Now some of you are like, well, that's not too bad. Folks, it's only 0.5% more than people who have nothing to do with God whatsoever. The average American gives 2% of their finances away. Now if you are here for the first time, And you're visiting, you're like, well, Martha, hide your purse. I knew it was coming. They took one, but now they're going to take another one. Here comes the plea. No plea. No plea at all. But Scripture, it's true that how you use your finances and whether or not you give has a direct correlation to the joy that you experience in your life. In our text, Paul commends the people to give because he says there are some things that are good about giving. And here are just a few of them. Here's the first one. Giving is kind. Giving is kind. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Right now, I want to talk just to those of you who are partners. Or you call this place your home. So if you're a visitor, you're here for the first time, you're connecting, hey, this does not apply to you. But for our partners, every single time that the bag is passed, you know what it's an opportunity for you to do? To give kindness. The kids camp, where we had 24 kids except Christ, their eternity was changed. Two outreaches that we've done. The glow-in-the-dark necklaces on the 4th of July that we passed out to love on our community. Helping people who are struggling desperately and we help them with an area of their life. Second Harvest, the Muncie Mission. People at the bus station. Our missions in Jamaica and other places. Donuts and coffee. Food at events. The chair that you're sitting in. Facebook advertising. The stage that I'm standing on. Our staff salaries. All of that comes from your generous hands, and we're grateful for your kindness, because giving is kind. Second, giving is a partnership. Verse 15 says this, You, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in the giving and receiving except you only. Folks, giving is always a partnership. It's a major theme throughout the Bible. 
giving was never to be a solo sport, but a participation thing. Who wants to be on the sidelines when you can be a part of the game, giving something to see God's kingdom explode in great ways? We do it together. We're committed together. Third, giving is ongoing. Verse 16 says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. How many times do the Philippians give to Paul? What's it say? Once and again. That means ongoing. They continued to give to him. Well, preacher boy, if I want to start giving, I'm not sure I should because I know there are people that are giving a lot more than me. And maybe mine's not as much. And so maybe I shouldn't do that. Let me tell you, first of all, when it comes to giving, quit comparing yourself to anyone else. Who cares what other people give? You do what God calls you to do. But everybody can give something, no matter where it's at. That's why I've always encouraged people, be percentage givers. Give a percentage and then increase that 1% until you get to the tide. Some of you today, if you're not there, you can say, hey, I'm going to start with 5%, 6%, 7%. Some of you can do 10%, and you give that extra percent each year. Because I think the biggest problem that people have is this. Well, I know he talks about that tithe and 10%. I'm not quite there, so I won't give anything. And when you don't give anything, folks, you don't get the blessing that God would give you in giving. Jennifer and I, when we first got married, we were not able to tithe. But we prayed and we felt like God was telling us, give this one particular amount and then increase it by 1% each year. And as we did that, God has blessed our lives in tremendous ways. That once we got to 10%, we didn't stop. We wanted to give more because he blessed us in more ways. Giving is ongoing. Next, giving is recorded. Verse 17 says, now that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is like, you just think I want your money? Is that what you think, Philippians? I just want your money? Folks, I can personally tell you, I don't know what anyone in this place gives except my wife and I. I don't want to know. You might be the most generous person. You might be a person who gives a quarter. I have no idea. But God knows. And it's between you and him. And here's the thing, folks. It's recorded. So right now we're going to go through all of your giving on the screen. That is right. No, we're not going to do that. But one day, folks, you'll stand before a God. And he'll say, this is what you gave. And you're responsible for that. And so you either, either hoard it and hold it tightly with closed fists or you have open hands. Next, giving is pleasing to God. Verse 18 says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. It's like every time we give to God financially, there's this aroma that goes to heaven, and he looks down and he's like, oh, man, it's smelling good at the jar today. Oh, I love, they're such generous people. They're so giving. I, I love that about them. God is pleasing and it's pleasing to give. Last thing, giving is rewarded. Giving is rewarded. Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, folks, at the end of the day, this is really the issue, right? If I give... Do I think God's going to provide for me? Or if I give, you know, it's that church, they're going to do what they want, but God's not going to provide for me. I mean, if I take a percentage of my income and I give it to him, what's going to happen to me then? Who's going to take care of me? Well, there's your answer in that scripture. It says, my God will supply how many needs? Every need. All of your needs. And it's a test of faith. Do you believe that if you give to God, 
that God will meet your needs? Or do you think that if I give to God, God will be like, all right, that's good, and then he's like, forget them, we're not going to worry about them, we're going to go on, we're going to do our own thing. I'm telling you folks, God doesn't do that. When you give to him, he meets your needs. And if you're faithful to him, he sometimes provides in ways that you can't even believe, and he goes greater than that. So, this week, I would challenge you to think about Am I content with what I have, and am I holding it tightly, or do I give it freely to Him? Because if we can give it to Him, He can multiply it and bless it in ways that you'll never be able to understand. Let's stand for a closing prayer, and I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up if you'd like prayer for anything. Uh, These folks would love to pray with you. And maybe today, actually, today's your day. You're like, hey, I want to accept Christ. I want to know this one who provides for my needs. I need God to provide for me. So I have to give my life to him and honor him. And so I'm ready to do that. And if that's you, then back in this corner where I'm pointing right now to my left, Emily's back there and she'd love to lead you through a prayer of accepting Christ and to give you a, a Bible and some encouragement to go on with life. And maybe for some of you, you're like, no, I've done that but you've never been baptized before. And you don't need to sign up. You can just show up. But at noon, we're having the baptism. And so you might say, you know what? I need the God who provides. I want to delight in him. I want to honor him. I want to give my life to him publicly through baptism. And you can do that as well. So let's pray. Well, God, we thank you so much for the way that you work and move and have your way. God, thank you for the fact that you never leave us. You never forsake us. And thank you for the assurance, God, that you're a God who provides. And that the joy in our life remains when we live a life of contentment. You are a faithful God. You provide for us. And so, God, as we turn to you, as we end this series, God, Would you help us to choose joy in all areas of our life? With our finances, with our time, with the gifts that we have, God. Help us to live in joy as a people, knowing that joy remains then in a heart of contentment. God, help us this week to be able to ask you, Lord, help me to know how to give financially so that I can honor you to put you first place and to see you move in a great way. God, you provide. We love you. Help us to be good givers in all that we give so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.